All right, I'm gathering myself together here. Good morning to everyone. Uh, if you'd like to start off, turn in the Old Testament to the book of Leviticus and uh, go to chapter 10. We'll get there in a little bit. Uh, you remember the, the Pentateuch, the five first books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You can remember that by this acrostic, God especially loves Notre Dame. So, <laughs> I don't think that's true, but you can remember it that way. Oh, this is a, you know, I've done series, but this is not a series. This is a, a one day. So I've decided to tackle something that uh, is of significant interest, I believe, and for some places controversial. And that is, uh, I would like us to uh, look at Scripture today and ask this question. And I, I want to first start off by saying, I do not assume for one minute that everybody would agree with this. I would hope so, but again, I don't want to assume this. Here's the question. You say, what are you talking about? Here it is. Does the Bible affirm that the Christian believer may drink and or enjoy an alcoholic drink as a social beverage? Let me say that one more time before I run out of the building. Uh, does the Bible affirm that the Christian believer may drink or enjoy an alcoholic drink as a social beverage. I want to start by saying this. I'm not here to be your judge. Uh, there's a judge in place. It's known as the Lord God Almighty. Uh, what I would like to do today here is make some observations from Scripture and pass them along to you for your consideration. Something that we do have uh, that's not Scripture itself, but it's based on the Scripture, it's our Berean Baptist Church Covenant. It says this. It states that uh, people who consider this church their home, especially those who would be members, states that uh, we should abstain from the sale and use of intoxicating drink as a beverage. So again, this is a matter for you to consider, especially if you consider this ministry, Berean Baptist Church, your church home. You may be a member, you may not be a member, but if somebody would say, you know, where do you go to church if you say Berean Baptist Church, I think it's fair that you should be reminded, if you've never read it, of what the church covenant entails. When I say intoxicating beverages, what I'm talking about is beer, liquor, but today I want to focus on the word wine. It comes from the Latin word vino, the Hebrew has two words, yayin, which would be more the fermented drink, the intoxicating beverage. But there's also a word in the Hebrew, tiras, which would be more what we call the grape juice uh, form. And remember with all of these, especially if you have the fermented yayin uh, drink in the Old Testament and into the New Testament, many times it would be diluted by water. Um, in the Greek... There's a general word, it is oinos. And so if we use the word oinos or read it in the New Testament, uh, we have to, from the context of the passage, what's being said, whether or not it is referring to the fermented, alcoholic, intoxicating beverage, or it's more talking about what we would just call grape juice. All right? You have to see it. Because in that culture, at that time, oinos was the word for all of it. I did go down to Tennessee. I went down there to Gatlinburg in mid-July. No, wait a minute. Uh, I went to Gatlinburg down there, and uh, 
down there, if you're going to have a good time in Gatlinburg, you have to be, somehow, you have to connect yourself with a, a brewery or a winery or a distillery. It's apparently impossible to have a good time down there unless you're, you know, sipping on a Coors, a Chardonnay, or a Cognac, one of the three. So, just beer, wine, and shine. You know, it used to be moonshine was kind of illegal. Down there, it's <laughs> on Front Street, and they're pushing it big time. So, uh, I just want to go here and say, uh, like, a, wine is a fermented, alcoholic, intoxicating beverage. And therefore, I want to head ahead of time. Remember in First Timothy, hope you know all this stuff already, 523. Timothy's having some trouble with digestion and so forth and so on. The water wasn't the best back in those days. And he asked the Apostle Paul, he said, you know, what about this? And Paul said back, take a little wine, oinos, for your stomach. It is true in a medicinal sense that fermented wine uh, in its ferment, fermentation will uh, act as uh, an anti-infection. Uh, and I um, work with that area. So that's it. it. He was not, matter of fact, one pastor said, and I think it's true, the fact that Timothy even asked permission or asked Paul what he thought about of taking a little bit of wine, even in a medicinal sense, suggests heavily that probably Timothy was someone today that we would call who believed in total abstinence. All right. Now, that's my position, and I will kind of share some of that. Before we get into this uh, passages here on the... Uh, the last page here, they got a little article. This is from the big time Tennessee legend distillery. So this is for <laughs> the real hooch here. Uh, they've got a guy here by the name of Kyle Tarwater. Kind of sounds like what that stuff tastes like. Uh, Tennessee legend sale and marketing director. Now here's what I like he, he says this, because I want to use it later on when we get to a passage. He says this. Tarwater says that he believes the spirits industry, isn't that an interesting term, the spirits industry is built on good times. Oh, yeah. And Tennessee legend is committed to helping facilitate them. I bet they are, yeah. Quoting him, some people may use liquor in bad times, but I've always seen the spirits industry as being about good times, he remarks. It's about hanging out with your friends, having fun, and hearing and creating stories. Helping someone create that next good memory or tradition is kind of what we live for. I feel left out, except I've had wonderful good times with my family. We've laughed. We've told stories. We've had memories. <laughs> we didn't forget you know, what we did the previous night. And it had nothing to do with a Coors, a Chardonnay, or a Cognac. It's almost that these guys are saying, you want to have a good time? Well, it's impossible unless you stop by our distillery and pick up some, you know, Tennessee stuff. So there is all that. I got that out of the way. In our culture today, and see, here's where some of the confusion comes. Whether it's going down the street or in writing there, in America in 2022, if you say, would you like a glass of wine, everybody knows you're talking about a fermented, intoxicating, alcoholic, adult beverage. Nobody, when you say, hey, would you like to go down to the store and pick up some wine, nobody thinks you're talking about getting some Welch's grape juice. In our time, wine is by definition an intoxicating beverage. But again, I want to remind you 
that in the Bible, that was not the case. If I told you if you'd like to have a glass of oinos, you would have to know whether I'm talking about fermented grapes that have not been diluted, fermented grapes that have been diluted by water, or if you just wanted to have a glass of grape juice. Because the word oinos would not tell you the distinction of those three. I'd like to use an illustration here. And uh, what I'm going to need here is some eager participant to be a volunteer. Can, does anybody want to come up here? And uh, Now, I'll tell you right now, what you're going to need to be willing to do is to participate in partaking of a little grape Kool-Aid. Anybody willing to be a participant in taking a little bit grape Kool-Aid? Justin's back there saying, don't point at me, you idiot. Yeah. And do I have any? Yes. Come on up. Yeah. My wife's not here, so I can be Okay. All right. This is just great. I think uh, Barnum had something to talk about, too. He said something about there's one born every minute or something like that. So you're willing to have some grape Kool-Aid? Oinos. Oinos, yeah. You're willing to do that? Sure. All right. Here we go. You want to hold this, please, just a minute? Would you want to tell me... What this says right there? Grape. And what does that say right there? Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. Oh, did I forget to mention it's unsweetened powder? I'm no. so sorry. Yeah, I did not say I'm, I feel so sorry. <laughs> mm. Okay, here we go. Oh, this is going to be wonderful. Oh, nothing like grape Kool-Aid. Now, what I'm going to do for you, I did this one time with a kid in school up in Michigan, and he became physically ill. And I don't want you to do that, okay? So I'm just going to pour this in here. And all I want you to do is moisten your finger. That means look at that. And I just want you to get into that powder and just put it on your tongue. So chug a lug, chug a lug, buddy. That's Roger Miller, wasn't it? Yeah, there you go. Is that grape Kool-Aid? Does you remember it? He's going to say yes. No. Not quite. Not quite, okay. Is that kind of unpleasant a little bit? I mean, it doesn't taste like Kool-Aid. Sour. It's very, very sour. Yeah, but it's not unpleasant. Okay. It's sour. Now, here's the thing I want to point. Now, I want to thank you. If you'd like to go and rinse out your mouth or do something like that, no, feel free to do it. You're good with it? Okay. All right. Now, the point I just wanted to make, thank you for volunteering. Yeah, there you go. Round of applause. How many of you would have thought that what I would ask you, would you like to partake of a glass of grape Kool-Aid, you assumed without even thinking about it, we're talking about a sweetened powder of Kool-Aid that you put in some water and mix it, and it's flavorful, okay? But in point of fact, I did not lie. This is grape Kool-Aid. It's the unsweetened powdered form, but it is what it is. Now you know the difference. But you see, the point of it is, Oinos is not always a fermented wine. Like I said, it can be a fermented grape that is distilled or diluted with water, or it could be grape Kool-Aid. So that's just the thing I wanted to bring there to kind of remind us of what the, the Bible talks about. All right, let's just go to the scripture now. I want us to look at some scriptures, and here's what I always do. I went through that because I think we got enough time to go to 
11.30, about two hours. Yeah, we'll be out here by then. Uh, Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. And I always want to start by saying I look forward to, if anybody would have a question or a comment, I would want you to put up your hand and, and go, go for that. Because this is, this is not preaching, this is teaching, this is a classroom environment. It's different. And if you've been around when I've taught Sunday school before, I look forward to hearing what you have to say. Now, in the Old Testament, we're talking about some ideas. And it says here, uh, when God is speaking to Aaron, and remember, that's the priestly tribe of uh, Israel, uh, Levi, the Arianic priesthood, starting in verse 8, I will read this first one, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, and that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord hath spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. It's very clear here that God is saying, if you're a priest and you're on duty at the tabernacle or later the temple when it was into Jerusalem, you are not to drink wine. Doesn't say anything about you're not supposed to get drunk. It says you're not to drink wine with the understanding that drinking wine, that would be the uh, yayan in the Hebrew, the fermented kind, that if you would get confused or slurred in your speech or not of a proper deportment for a priest of the Most High God at the tabernacle, that that would be inappropriate, that would be unclean, that would be unholy. No, you need to be the people who are going to teach my people, the children of Israel, the statutes of the Scripture. And for that, you can't be somebody who likes to drink fermented wine. That's, that's not a winning combination. So this right here is a prohibition for a priest who is involved in the holy work. He's prohibited from drinking wine. There's the thought. Now, let's just go over to the next passage, Proverbs chapter 31. And as we're turning to Proverbs chapter 31. Right off the bat, is there anybody that wants to make a comment regarding what we just read in Leviticus? We go to Joe over here. No, as a matter of fact, that's key. We're going to look at that, but that's a, a key point. Who else had the hand up? Okay, yes, sir. Jerry. What is it these priests drink when they do their Catholic stuff? They drink a very high-quality uh, fermented, intoxicating wine. Uh, there's a little secret that is not so much a secret that there are very many Roman Catholic priests who've uh, taken in this wine as they say the mass but also it's not wrong in the Catholic belief to drink wine 
as long as you drink it in moderation. And so there are very many priests who at some time in their ministry have gone to a particular place in the state of Illinois where they need to dry out, you know. And uh, we've, there was a priest in St. Ignace where I was a pastor up there for many years. There was a priest who came and it became known and the bishop of the Upper Peninsula had to remove him because he was an alcoholic from all those years of, of drinking the wine. So anybody want to, that's a good, did anybody else have their hand up on this passage in Leviticus? Those are really good points. All right. I've asked you to turn to Proverbs 31. Now, we get here, we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. If you're there, would anyone like to read verses 4 and 5 for us? If you're going to read, read nice and loudly. Anybody? If not, I will read it. Okay, we got uh, Brother Bob right there. You want to read this for us? Thank you very much there, brother. Now, King Lemuel, if you read through the book of the Kings and the book of the Chronicles, he was not a Jewish king. He's nowhere listed. Um, there's not a whole lot of knowledge who King Lemuel was. Some people guess, and some Hebrew scholars said that they thought as Solomon had written this book of Proverbs, that it might be a pseudonym he had for himself, and he referred to himself as kind of like, uh, you know, some of these authors go under a, a different name, thought that he referred to himself as King Lemuel, in that case, then his mother would have been a woman by the name of Bathsheba. But you notice here the content included in the Word of God, it's the same principle that we saw over in Leviticus. Now that, it was not for priests. Here we see that the priesthood, that's, you know, at the temple. But now we go over to the palace to the political and the civic leader of the children of Israel. It's not for kings, Elimiel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Strong drink could have been spiced wine. We don't know how many drinks they would have gotten into that would have been alcoholic beverages made with grain. You don't see a whole lot of that, but I've got a suspicion they, they probably got into that stuff. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Same problem. If you're a priest at the temple or you're the king of Israel at the palace, you are supposed to be a leader. You're supposed to be a person of principle. Don't take the chance of ruining that by drinking wine, by drinking alcohol. Now, here, is it a prohibition? Not as strong as a prohibition, but she's saying, do not, do not, do not. It's, it's a word of instruction <clears throat> from the mother to the son, who is a king, that's saying, you ought to know, my son, if you're going to be what a king ought to be, you won't drink wine. You will not drink intoxicating beverage. Anybody want to make a comment on this verse in Lemuel? All right. Now, let's just go to what Joe brought up. Thank you, brother. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. And Joe, thankfully, even volunteered to read it. What a guy, what a guy. Now, I saw another hand up over here. So when we get to the next verse, we're going to... Who else had the hand up over here? Who else had a hand up over here? I, I called upon brother, but I thought I saw another hand up over there. Was that you, Annette? Did you have your hand up again? Was someone else over here? Was it, uh, was it you, Derek? 
All right? I'll have Joe read this verse. You'll be going to Revelation chapter 1. By the way, Derek, just forget, that's the last book of the Bible, okay? All right. Joe is with us here at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. My brother, what does that say? He's finding it. That is fine. That is fine. Thank you. What he just said, there was a time where the tabernacle was in a place called Shiloh. And the temple, when built, was always in a place called Jerusalem. But now the Naon, the temple, the residence of the Holy Spirit, is residing within the believer. Okay? And that's what you said. Did you want to add to that? You want to say anything more about that? Okay? Now you think about that. There were times when the Levitical priests, you know, they took their turns in rotation. They weren't always on duty. They took turns. And the situation also with kings or something like this. Well, there's a lot of people <laughs> in Israel that they're not the king. or they're, they're not part of the royal family of being a prince. But every single believer, not just the pastors, not just the missionaries, the music directors, not just the Sunday school teachers, not just anybody... And remember, it doesn't matter you say, well, I'm working here at the situation where I'm not up front. You know what? You're doing those works of the ministry that a lot of times it's not noticed by people, but God does. And he said, you know what? You're a minister. Now, let me ask this question, like a group response. When are we as believers off duty? Never. We're 24 hours a day on duty as a Christian. Priest, royalty, Brother Derek, listen to what he's going to share from Revelation chapter 1, and Brother's going to read verses 5 and 6. Amen. What a statement. Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, has made his children, us that know him, he's made us kings and priests. We are royalty in the job of, you know, administration and so forth of the church. We are the kings. We are the priests. We're this holy endeavor. Think about the responsibility and the privilege it is that we can, we can say to someone, I know the living God. I know. I know Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ knows me. We have the responsibility and the opportunity, think of this, to be ambassadors of reconciliation to tell someone how they can be saved. Does any political ambassador of any nation at any time in history as any ambassador, you're an ambassador of the United States, I don't care where you're at. Does any information that they embark or talk about, is any of it as consequential as telling someone how to get saved? No. Pales in comparison. Brothers and sisters, this morning as we're moving on, you are a priest, 
you are a king. You say, if you ladies think, I don't feel like being a king. Well, I'm the bride of Christ. Okay, so deal with it. <laughs> we are priests and kings. And we're never off duty. If the Arianic priesthood couldn't drink wine, and King Lemuel shouldn't drink wine because of their exalted position, what do you think about us? I, I suggest, strongly encourage, that it's saying to us, by the word of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures, I don't want you to drink alcoholic fermented beverages. I don't want you to do that. I didn't call you to that. I called you to this high and holy calling. I want to move on, but I first want to ask the question, does anybody have anything they'd like to say about what we've shared so far? He's going to toot on that horn. No, I didn't say shofar. I said so far. That's lost in a lot of people. How many people you said, what's a shofar? Does anybody not know what a shofar is? You don't know what a shofar is. Who knows what a shofar is? Tell them. <laughs> Go ahead, dear sister. Tell them what a shofar is. You don't know what a shofar is? Okay, all right. I, 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 was, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot because of Chris back here. Yeah. Right. And it's made out of what most times? You know what it's? It's made out of ram's horn. You know one of those curly ram's horns, you know? You know, you go to the ram's say, excuse me, can I borrow this? <laughs> <laughs> Got to call the people to lunch. And say, ow! But thank you. I'm sorry, I did not mean to put you on the spot. There you go, yeah. Well, high and holy calling. Now, I want us to turn, because I don't know how, if you've looked at this or not, but I want to go to it. Because this here is the passage. This is the permission slip. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go there. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21, but the real focus is on verse 18. So I'm going to say it again, and somebody can think, you know, I'm willing to read that. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15 through verse 21. Is there any taker here this morning who said, I'll read that. Okay, Sheila's back there. Uh, through 21. Oh, okay. Thank you, sister. If you can see just in this passage... What is the context? What, what is overall, what is Paul writing about? He's writing to the saints of how it is that we should, in a sense of joy, surrender ourselves and submit ourselves to service to our Savior God. That's the whole flavor of what's being spoken about here. 
But there's a lot of people, sadly a lot of evangelicals, that in this whole passage, where the only verse that really gets them excited is verse 18. And be not drunk with wine. Wow, that's an interesting... And be not drunk with wine. Well, that's interesting because I know some people who go to one of these... I don't know, they're real narrow-minded, legalistic... I know, they call themselves fundamentalists. Okay? And, uh, well, I'm glad I was able to read this because it does not say anything about not drinking an alcoholic beverage. Uh, What it says, it teaches that we should uh, be careful, we should uh, use moderation, use common sense, don't allow ourselves to become drunk. But if it says just says, do not be drunk with wine. Well, that means if I can enjoy socially, or I like the flavor, or for relaxation, or, or maybe for, I, I read where doctors say a glass of wine is good for the heart. So I don't think the Bible's, I don't, I don't think these legalists, these, these narrow-minded fundamental, I don't think they have it right. I think it's okay to have a, a glass of wine if we go to the restaurant, or if I want to have a a glass of wine at evening in my home. I think that's okay because I'm, I'm, I'm using it in moderation. I'm not getting drunk. And I mean, after all, that's what the Word of God says. It says not to be drunk with wine, and I, I'm not going to be. So I think I'm okay. Let me say to you as strongly as I can, not only is that not what the passage is about, that's not what that verse says. This is not anybody's permission slip to drink a Coors, a Chardonnay, or sip on a cognac. You say, well, Earl, I just read there. Yes, I'm going I'm to act like Joe Scholar here. But that's what it sounds like. That's the way you could look at it if you want to in the English. But let me remind you of something here, of what it actually says, because it is... Like Pastor says sometimes, and it's true, it is about the verse. Now, it says, be not drunk with wine, therein is excess. Here's your word. Here we go. Word studies. If we want to look at this in this sense, that here's where you take your first drink. Here's where you're going to have that little glass of wine in the evening. And it goes through, you know, a couple of hours, a couple of bottles, and... Now you're drunk. That would be the verb methuo. Paul would be saying, let's look at the result. Let's, let's look at the conclusion. Let's look at the end of this. Let's look at it and focus right there on what we're to avoid. This person is now drunk. But you see, we can go back here and I can have one glass, two glass, maybe three glasses, and I never get over here. If you had the verse there where the verb was methuo, you could, you could maybe walk away with that. It's not talking about the couple of drinks. It's talking about the end result if you're not careful. But brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, it is not the verse methuo that God the Holy Spirit had Paul use. The word is the verb, and here it is, methusko. Now, we don't have this in the English, but this is an inceptive verb. And when we talk about the inception of something, we're talking about what? The beginning of something. 
Now let me use an illustration that rings home right here with me and my wife in the last weeks or so. Sister Phyllis is back there and maybe happened to you. If my goal in life, I don't have many goals in life, but I got one. I got one goal in life. You say, wow, what is your goal in life? My goal in life, it's what I live for. And that is I will never, not ever once, be stuck in a line of cars miles long in some backup on an interstate because somebody jackknifed their truck up here somewhere. Can't even see where it happened. All I know is I'm sitting here. My gas tank is empty, I'm hungry, and I've got to find a bathroom. Here I am stuck. Now, if that's my life's goal, here's what I would tell you. Don't ever get on I-65. No, 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 no. If that's your life goal, if you see I-65, go like that and stay away. Don't get on Henry Interstate Highway. Because to get on it is to be backed up. Just the other day, I had to go way up to Holland, Michigan. I needed I-65 for a grand total of six miles. I need to get off at I-72 and get off at I-78. Six miles. We didn't make it. <laughs> what went wrong? Somebody had one of these trucks with a piggyback truck, and that thing was on the backside, flipped over 13 different ways, and right where I needed to be. Mathusko says this. It's inceptive. It's the beginning. Paul says, there's a way to make sure you'll never be drunk. Don't drink. That's how you make sure. My own father, raised in the Burkott family up in Saskatchewan, if you were going to have a good time to get together with the Burkotts and all these people up there, you had to drink. I remember I got to, one time I went up for my grandfather's birthday. And uh, there was a guy there, who, yeah, doesn't matter what his name is, but he was known, he and my uncle, they would drink, 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 and get drunk and everything. And he had some alcohol. He didn't know I was a Christian. He did not even know, but he came up to me and he said, here, I got you this drink for him. And I said, no, thank you. No, no, thank you. I don't care for that. I don't want that. And he kept pushing, pushing, pushing. Come on, come on, come on. It's grandfather's birthday. Come on, you know. And then he said these words to me. He says, be a man and take the drink. And I finally looked at him and I says, you know what? I am a man. That's why I won't drink it. Well, he left. <laughs> the pressure, whatever it is. But this word right here is saying, like, if you don't ever want to be in a backup on a highway, then don't get on that highway. Paul is saying here, be not drunk with wine, and there's only one way to absolutely, without a doubt, ensure that. And that is don't drink in the first place. That's what that verse says. And not only that, if you go there, it says, wherein is excess. That's a very interesting word. It means wantonness in the, the Greek language. Now, I don't know if anybody wants to take a guess here. We're coming around the bend here. Oh, I've got to pick up speed here. When it talks about be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, do you have any idea in that time, in that world, in that culture, when you were talking about drinking way to excess in the popular culture, what came to mind in that world? Does anybody have an idea what I'm going for? The Roman Empire. Oh, go for it. Did I give it away? Yes. Yes, the idea of the god, Bacchus. Now, that started with the Greek, but... The Romans, and I'm not, you understand, just, I'm just trying to say this as clean as I can. 
the Romans, the Caesars, and all the people of there, when they got together to have a big hoedown party, uh, they drank. And they would have all this food and everything like this, and it was so extreme that when you ate your fill and you couldn't eat any more, you used your finger in a strategic way to give it all back so you could go back to start eating all over again. And you would drink and you drink and you drink, and when you got really happy and everybody's laughing, it led to gross immorality. And that word there, excess in the King James, is talking about the idea, excuse me, of a unbridled lewdness. So you stuffed yourself with food, you vomited it out, you drank, drank, drank until you was drunk out of your mind, and then you got involved with being involved with people, male, female, animals, did not matter. And what Paul is saying, that's not us. That's where that leads to. And too many people in the Roman Empire, the Greeks, all the other ones, they liked the idea of the orgy because it fulfilled the desires of their lost pagan mind. And Paul says to that understanding, do not be drunk with wine. Don't begin drinking because if you begin drinking, that's where it'll all start. And I mentioned my dad maybe. My dad grew up in Canada, I talked about the Burkhats, but my dad joined the army during World War II, and that's where he took his first drink, and my dad became an alcoholic, and I understand there's a lot of people who drink. You're not guaranteed to become an alcoholic if you drink alcohol, I'll, that's the truth. But my dad became an alcoholic, and I'm sorry Mr. Kyle Tallwater, I don't remember all the wonderful good times of being with friends and making memories and everything. I remember every Christmas Eve, everybody waiting to open the presents and saying, when's my dad going to get home? And we always knew when he walked in the door, he was going to be lit. And there was nothing but tension, and we were uncomfortable as to when was my dad going to come in. I don't remember beer and wine and liquor as a gateway to good times. I always remember it as a gateway to horrible times and sorrow and regret. Now you say, well, Earl, you take this position because of your personal experience. No, I take this position because I believe it's what the Word of God teaches. Wouldn't matter whether my dad was an alcoholic or a teetotaler, wouldn't matter. This is true. Last thing to do, we've got to go in about 10 minutes. Anybody want something to say quickly before we move to the last two things? Yes. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. And that is so true. You talk about Purdue, but I think a lot of campuses, they're, they're, they, and they have ratings of what is good. If you're going to go to university or college, what's the good party place? What is it? And it's all that. Thank you for sharing that. I want to, the last 10 minutes, I want us to go quickly. First of all, go to the uh, John chapter 2. I want to give two instances in the life of Jesus Christ, and we will conclude. This, of course, is the wedding feast at Cana. 
And I don't know if previous ministries, previous pastors that you've had, I, I hope that you've heard of all of this before. I'm hoping that what I'm doing here is just a reminder of what you already know and what you already believe. But just in case that's not true, uh, share this here. So here it is. I'm going to read this portion here. It's in John chapter 2, as I said, verses 3 through 10. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. They have no wine us. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set six, there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. So these were big containers. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have drunk, or well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. People assume in so many places in our culture, in our time, that when they read this, they think it's talking about fermented, intoxicate, al alcoholic wine. Because that's, that's, that's what wine is. But no. Now here's what I can tell you about this passage. Number one, if the original wine that they ran out of, there's a chance it would have been fermented wine. But because it was in the law of the Jews, and of course if you were going to be married, you had to have a rabbi there to marry you, it would have necessity been diluted wine. It would have been fermented, but it had been diluted to the point. I've read some stories or places where one unit of fermented wine would be somewhere with somewhere between 8 to 10 units of water. So it would really be diluted. So they ran out of that wine. Now Jesus turns the water into wine. And his turns out to be the very best wine. And a lot of people say, oh yeah, no. One sip of this is like, woo -hoo! Yeah, party time. No. The reason why it was the best wine, you say, well, it must have had a really good flavor, or it must have been very relaxing, or very nice, or whatever. Yes, I'm quite sure it was the best wine they've ever had, because it was made by the Son of God. That's why it's the best wine. It's not about the contents, or the grapes, or anything else. It's about who made it. Now, you keep your place here, and I'm going to go back very quickly. I want you to turn to the other passage. I want you to turn, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. And I'm going to tell you this if you're turning there. What I know to be absolutely true, even though I don't read it word for word in the text, I know this for a fact. Jesus Christ, the water that he turned into wine, it could not, it would not, it would have been possible, it was not fermented wine. The Bible prohibits that. The person who wrote the Bible wouldn't violate his own, his own rules. All right, is everybody there? If you're in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, raise your hand, would you please, just for a moment. All right, most of you are there. I'm going to say on the count of three, would you just read what Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 says? So here we go. One, two, three, take it away. 
You think Jesus made fermented wine after reading that? He doesn't say there, drinking too much wine is bad. Wine in whatever it is, is this wine just to, it, it, it is that way. It's a mocker, it's strong drink. So that's one reason I know for, without a shadow of a doubt that whatever Jesus made, we don't know exactly what he made, but I'll tell you what he didn't make. He didn't make a strong drink. And the other one is Habakkuk 2.5. I'm just going to read it, and we go to the last one. Habakkuk 2.5 says this. Am I in the right place? Habakkuk 2 and 5. I must have put down the wrong one. Okay, I'm just going to tell you what it says. I wrote down the wrong, wrong verse here. But it says, Do not give thy neighbor to drink. How many of you know that verse? You've read that verse. You've got to look it up. I was going to provide it for you, but I had a little sip this morning, and I'm not myself. Uh, <laughs> do not give thy neighbor to drink. That's against the law. So there's that. When you walk out here, I hope you know one thing. Do we know exactly what Jesus' wine tastes like? No, we do not. Was it fermented? No. Because wine is a mocker, and you do not give your neighbor to drink. If he would have given them fermented wine to drink, God would have violated what he told Israel not to do. And then finally, the last one, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 26, because this is another big one. At the Passover, the night before Christ died, they had the Passover meal, the Seder meal, and there were four cups of oinos that they would pass around, and each one. The third one was considered the cup of redemption, which was especially important, because that following morning, Jesus would be crucified and paid for all the sins of all the world, and that would be the day of redemption. So the night before He's drinking symbolically out of a cup what he's actually going to be doing the next morning. We've got to close with this. Now, in the other two synoptics, we're not even going to turn there. But in Matthew chapter 26, and let me get this, verse 29, I want you to hear me read this. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you. In Matthew, Mark, and in Luke... Why didn't the Holy Spirit, putting out the Greek New Testament, just say, I will no longer drink oinos. I will no longer drink wine. Here's why. Because the word oinos is, in confu is confusing. But instead, what we read there are these words. Genematas tes ampelo. The fruit of the vine. You know what the fruit of the vine is? You get two things. You got a cup and you got a cluster of grapes. And you squeeze the grapes, and the juice of the grape falls into the cup, and you drink it. No fermentation, nothing alcoholic. It is grape juice. And by what this said, Jesus purposely said, he wouldn't have spoken Greek, it would have been Hebrew or Aramaic, but he said, I want everybody to know that what I'm having myself drink tonight and my apostles drink is not fermented wine. It is grape juice. I think we had enough in here to say total abstinence for Christians regarding alcoholic beverage is the biblical position. Father God, we thank you for this time together. Uh, take these truths about alcoholic beverages and what you've said in your word and bring it to our hearts and our minds for us to consider and to live according to your principles. We